Boat Trader, America's largest boating marketplace, offering easy financing and over 100,000 boat listings to choose from. Sell, find, and finance new or used boats on America's largest boating marketplace. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Here in the Northern Rockies, dark winter months are outlasted in basements, dens, and nooks, where kindred souls gather together to share intel, swap fly patterns, and relive the memories from seasons past. This gathering spot, known locally as the February Room, is the inspiration for this podcast. No matter the season, the door is always open to those with a fly fishing story to tell. Brought to you by CD Fishing USA, the North American distributor for composite development fly rods and accessories. 40 years of Kiwi ingenuity and graphite technology now available at cd-fishing.us or your local CD USA dealer. Follow us on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. And remember to go fishing. Here's your host, the Carnops, and this is the February Room. Life has many ups and downs. There are many articles, self-help books to help you find ways to maintain your drive, happiness, and relationships. But for my next guest, the best way to maintain his drive and intentions for the day is through fishing. My next guest is Maxwell Kelsey, or goes by the name Max, all the way from Bemidji, Minnesota. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it so much. Congratulations. Before we started, you said you're 479 days sober. So first off, that's an incredible accomplishment. And I can't wait to hear a little bit more about your story um, and how fishing ties into that. Um, but before we go into that, I'd love to hear a fishing story from you because we haven't had anyone from from Bemidji, Minnesota yet. And I think we have a lot of the same backgrounds with the love of bluegill fishing. I'm a huge bluegill pumpkin seed fanatic. <laughs> I, I often call pumpkin seeds when they hit topwater caddis as Rhodesian ridgebacks because the, they have a shoulder up above their eye that if they're big enough, 
the sun will go through it and it's this hunk of gold that comes out of the water. I try and fish bluegill every single week, honestly, even in the winter. Um, I'm, I'm always going out for bluegill fishing. Specific bluegill, I have to go back to when I first started fishing with my son and in this lake that my dad has a lake lot on and that's near my work and I fish all the time there after work. And I'll never forget when uh, I brought my son out there and he was about two and a half pushing three and you know that they, they hit the they hit the fly or jig at that time we were using an ice fishing pole for him because he was so small and so we were subsurface with worms and for that instantaneous hook set obviously and I remember him after the first one he cued in on the ferocity of (laughs) of the bite of the fight and when he got his second fish on he just threw his pole in the bottom of the boat and wanted nothing to do with it because he was scared because the pole started shaking so much. <laughs> okay, what's the biggest bluegill you've ever caught? 10 inches. Do you eat them? Absolutely. They are amazing. Um, you know, this this brings back another bluegill story that I have, and that is going out and bringing my, at that time, my grandmother, Leota, was 86 years old. And I brought her out to this lake and we were fishing in the John boat um, spin casting and also fly fishing. And I'm, uh, very, uh, a conservationalist and, um, uh, catch and release advocate. And my grandmother, you know, raised a family through the depression and, um, or was, you know, around during the depression. And so every fish caught, you keep every fish. So here I am. Our, our stringer is full. We have nine, 10 fish on there. And I think the limit's 10 here in Minnesota. See, I don't even know the limit because I don't, I only keep a couple and it's very rare that I do. Um, and so I remember my grandma getting so mad at me because I was releasing these giant nine, 10 inch bluegills back. And she's saying to me, you know, she was getting mad at me because <laughs> I was, releasing these fish back right in front of her. And then I started secretly releasing them. And uh, that that's just funny. I, I think about her a lot when I go out there. And, and uh, you know, I had to explain to her that day that, hey, you know, this is your first time on this lake, but I, I come here every week. I want to keep catching these fish. <laughs> so... What's up with like the Midwestern grandmothers? They're the best. I mean, my grandma, she would rig up our rod and put earthworms on there. And my grandma was like dialed to the nine. You know, she would wear like the sweater that would match the art gecko earrings. And then her hair was permed. And she would go out there and there's something about Midwestern grandmas and everything was with potatoes. Like every night we either had to have some kind of potato, mashed potato, baked potato, and uh, yeah, it's funny that you kind of have those fond mer- memories of your grandma because uh, like I, we have a family cabin in Northern Wisconsin and um, we're going to be a third generation of the cabin and my kids are going to be fourth generation, but there's wow. something really special about, I don't know, the Midwest just in the summertime, there's nowhere else I'd rather be. I'm actually really sad that I'm not there right this minute because we're in a heat wave right now and I could just jump in a lake right now. 
glad you're familiar with this area so you you can understand and and you can also ask these questions or at least share experiences like yeah grandma sweaters funny smells um gmc vans and casserole my grandma the first time that my mom ever stayed overnight at my grandparents place in aiken minnesota which is north of malax lake a big central lake in minnesota here my mom was sleeping still asleep in the living room and this was out of season and my grandma shot a doe out the window with the 30 30 window of the kitchen because she was getting into her raspberries yeah your grandma would have gotten along greatly with my grandma she not that my grandma wasn't a hunter but like you did not cross my grandma (laughs) and you know she also expected us to be at the dinner eat everything on your plate like a midwestern plate i mean that was a lot of food and if we didn't even finish drinking our milk from our cereal bowl my grandma would be like finish your milk and we have to sit there and sip to the end of the drop like it's just kind of interesting that the love of food, the love of fishing, the love of the lakes. And um, yeah, it's it's such a beautiful, special place. And a true story, uh, Max, I was, uh, we were a week away, my husband and I, from moving to Brainerd, Minnesota. Wow. Yeah. And the company decided to, the company decided to change their mind and we moved us to Peoria, Illinois. And my husband and I were very disappointed because we went and checked out Brainerd and we were about to go um, have a little house, like right on, I can't remember what river it is. That was like a small little creek or river that was right behind us. And um, I always think about that. So when I saw that you were from Bemidji, I was like, oh man, we were kind of be kind of close neighbors possibly. Yeah, incredible watershed there. The Mississippi runs through there. Um, it, it, it's very clear water up until Brainerd, Mississippi is. And then you get past Brainerd and then it gets pretty brown. Um, but the, the watershed is incredible, uh, plus the white pines, and um, it, it's an awesome area. And I'm all about that watershed. Um, we are connected through water right to Brainerd and, and to so many other places, too. Uh, we are actually connected to Hudson Bay by one portage. You wouldn't believe me, but um, I can go to Hudson Bay from Bemidji by one portage. How long does that take? Well, it would be probably a month, you know, of, of, <laughs> of but I'm just saying we are so connected here. We yeah. Are, uh, and, and I'm all, that's why I'm a, a conservation advocate. That's why I'm a catch and release. And that's why I primarily paddle a, a canoe. I, now I do have a boat with a motor, but my my absolute fascination is with paddling a canoe and fly fishing out of a canoe. Um, I have a, a dog, Wyme, uh, a Weimariner named Opal, and she does great in the canoe, actually, for being close to 70 pounds. She'll, uh, I'll make a nest and she can lay right in the, right in the belly of the boat there. And So do you cast for the yeah, canoe? Yes, absolutely. You know, and I'm going to interject here with what I did and it's another bluegill story here just this week and teaching someone how to cast fly cast who's never casted a rod, first of all. And this week I placed a young man named Matt in the canoe. Um, we tied our own fly before we went out. We tied a couple flies and then jumped in the boat and roughly really quick went over casting. And then this was on Tuesday, proceeded to catch a pile of bass and sunfish. Um, 
that evening on a little uh, a little fly that I've been tying, and it's a uh, a little fox hair and a little foam. <laughs> and uh, so I was telling him, you know, because the whole boat's moving, and I'm telling him, hey man, it's not from the shoulder, it's from the wrist. Okay, take take that elbow, tuck it into your your core there. It's on the wrist. So no, there's no problem um, casting from a canoe. You, you just you need to have need to have good accuracy and you need to have been casting for a while and and I think it's great it's a uh, um, a skill strengthener and I'm all about skill strengthening and even when I put someone in the canoe and it's their first evening out there is and I'm even for me I was still learning on Tuesday some things about casting and and sharing and and I want to tell you is something that gives me great peace is sharing that love for fly fishing, topwater hook sets, especially. And and that rhythm, that 10 and 2, you know, it's a metronome for life. Um, and I was uh, telling Matt, hey, don't watch me. Close your eyes and listen to the cast. And then when you're casting, try and repeat that noise that you heard. So it is five senses. It's six senses, you know. Um, and that's really important. And so to constantly go out there and test your own, your own self skill strengthening weekly is really rewarding. And Matt's mom had asked me, uh, last year to tie flies with her son. And, um, I've, I kind of blew her off, but, uh, this last week I said, Hey, no, let's, let's, let's double whammy it let's tie flies and then let's jump in the boat and go fishing so i'm so happy that i did that and it reminded me of why i do that why i have such a fascination and and i often don't share enough and it reminded me that i need to keep sharing and i need to keep giving and that is so important too and and not necessarily taking yeah fish from the lake but but um, releasing so that you can go back and, and keep doing that. Absolutely. I love that. You know, like we were just uh, in the very beginning of the podcast, you know, we, you've told me before that fly fishing has just kept you grounded and has given you a, an ability to stay sober and has been your balance in your life. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how, if you're comfortable with it, like how you've, how that balance became? Well, in my early days of counting my numbers and building that that uh, confidence and that strength up was uh, in the spring last um, March 9th, 2020 is my day of, of soberness, the day after my birthday. And so yes, my birthday's March 9th. Whoa. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> so we're Pisces, okay? So yes. we're really connected to the water, okay? And especially watersheds and, and being calmed by the water. Um, going through the separation that I'm going through and also uh, a custody battle here now, um, I, I found great peace in going out to the lake, not necessarily even fishing, but watching the sunny spawn. And so that was really big time for me is uh, not that I took fly fishing for granted in, in, in the long history that I've already previously had with it, but I really started identifying things that 
truly made me happy at that time that I was the most unhappy, I guess. And one of those was going out to the lake and sitting on the dock and, I don't know, pulling um, lily pads out from their roots and wiping the slime on my face. You know, I don't know, like sit on the dock, okay? It was so important. And so um, one one thing too is I, I knew that my... Uh, my marriage was falling apart a couple of years ago and something that I picked up that was that I knew was uh, going to be really helpful in bonding with my son in the winter of uh, 2018, summer of 2018, and then into the, the, the winter of 2019 there was time flies with my son. Okay. And it, it all started, um, it really all started is... I picked up the old vice that my dad gave me when I was like eight years old. And I still had one of those flies that was stuck on the vice and in, in, in the, in the grip there. And that fly had been there for 20 years and I had tied it and I looked at it and I was like, geez, you know, um, at that point, my dad had given me a whole bunch of stuff from the garage within those several boxes was this tying kit. And so here I am at my home, um, being reintroduced all of that through the discovery of uh, these things in these boxes. And so um, I took that, I took that vice and I took some hooks and I took some yarn and got a a raccoon tail from the road. (laughs) (laughs) Man, I tied some great flies there. Um, Ugly as hell, but uh, my son and I caught some fish and, and, you know, I could see his, excitement within creating something, you know, something small. And that's what I love about tying is, is that they're, they're tiny works of art. Okay. Um, and I love the, the metaphor of the February room. And that's, I, I really, you know, I kind of studied your page too. And that's, that's why we found each other is I really appreciate And it, it was at about the same time too, that I was, I don't know if it was February, but it was, it was, early spring when I was doing a lot of tying and doing, you know, a lot of self-care and self-healing and, you know, finding myself, um, trying to at least. And that winter I tied a box of flies, uh, the winter before I got sober and I called it the box of hurt. Wow. And it was me processing a lot of stuff. And so I was going home I had a, a severe knee injury from a uh, classical cross-country skiing accident. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Going downhill. <laughs> it was downhill, it counts. <laughs> yeah. So, and, uh, not skating, it was classical. <laughs> <laughs> classic. <laughs> so I, I was uh, not wheelchair, but crutch-bound, and so I went home. Um, no one else was at my house and, uh, I proceeded to tie flies that winter really hardcore. And I have that box of pain, the box of hurt. And it, it, it helped me process that winter of what was, what was transpiring in my life. And it also, how, how at that time each fly was giving me hope for the casts and the trips that I would experience in the summer. Okay. It was individual tiny pieces of art that, um, gave me hope 
helped me look ahead into the future, okay, for the matches. Um, it helped me, and I don't want to be, uh, uh, I don't want to be a, you know, a manic depressive sounding, but it helped no. me stay alive. No, I think that's, I mean, we've had numerous people come on this podcast and say how fly fishing has saved their lives. And I think it's such a good way that you say that, you know, when you really start thinking about what the vice does is you're kind of sitting there and processing things that are going presently, but you're hoping that this fly in the future will bring some adventures or something on the greener side. And I, I love that, that metaphor too, uh, Max. And I think it's, you know, and I think what's even harder, and I was going to ask you this, because we do say fly fishing is, it can bring so much peace, but I also think it must have been so difficult to make that, to make a transition because I mean, it, and I imagine in Minnesota as well as in Wisconsin, it is, um, there's a big drinking culture there, you know, let's go on the pontoon boat, let's go have beers, let's go fishing. And afterwards we'll go grab beers. Um, was it hard? Has it been, has it been difficult making the challenge of like, do you have to have new friends or being like, Hey, this is how my fishing is now how, how my fishing intentions are now is to satisfy, satisfy me mentally, not to have at the end of the day, have a bunch of drinking. Absolutely. I, I, I drank, um, beer, uh, everything. And so I had some real knee jerk reactions driving by the liquor store early on going fishing and wanting to turn in there because so many years I had to have a 12 pack if I went fishing, you know, I never went fishing without or sailing without a 12 pack. Okay. So, um, yeah. And it's, it's about rewiring and, um, freeing the ties that bind mentally and letting, letting go. And so if you can successfully do that, I did that on my own, which I, I think is really even more hard. Uh, wasn't court ordered or anything. Um, I, I identified something that I wanted change in my life and, and, you know, I was presented with, uh, sacrifices I had to make and I was either going to stay on this path or I was going to let myself down and I, I don't let myself down. I, I have a lot in my life, but I've gotten to the point where I, I needed to make a change. And so I did. And so now I've replaced that with LaCroix and, um, ginger ale and stuff like that um and not necessarily placebo not a lot of na um you know uh so yeah it 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 was really hard and it's that rewiring aspect um and it's that listening to your heart so what has really helped me with keeping that strength moving is metaphors and one of them which is written on a custom fly rod that i i have now uh, and I'd love to send you a photo of that is yes. be the bug, just be, and that's B double E. All right. Be the bug. Okay. And that's all about listening to your heart. All right. And so if you have intuition and you listen to your gut and what that says, you can apply that to a lot of things, hunting, fishing, business, design, um, whatever, you know? And so I really applied my intuition in what's going to make me happy, really happy besides having all these, uh, inhibitors that I've, um, associated with. Well, one of them massively is fishing. 
And, um, and so that's why I kept going out to the lake and sitting on the dock and making a few casts. And, um, it's been really healing for my son and I, and now my daughter, who's three, her name's Fern. My kids oh, name, I love that name. My kids' names are Teal Royal and Fern Emerald. Oh, wonderful. I love it. Those are great names. Teal's eight, Fern's three. Fern has caught several giant sunnies as of this last week, even, um, on an ice fishing rod, uh, tungsten, tungsten ice fishing jig, and a little bit of worm. And we have so much fun. So it's how I bond with them when I see them. Yes. And um, building good memories and, you know, and hook sets are really important. Um, I want to get to uh, this. I'm just kind of want to keep moving on here is uh, about a fly fishing story that I have for you. And that's the rod that I got. And I'm going to I'm going to circle back here also on the rod that I just got teal. OK, I just had I just got teal a custom rod here from a local maker. It says, be the bug on it to remind him to listen to his heart. And I was eight when I got my first rod from my dad. There's a nice four weight, seven foot, seven and a half foot, four weight fluger with uh, a matching reel. And I learned to cast and fish on that on Leech Lake, Minnesota out of the marina that my parents still have a sailboat in. And I didn't even know about leaders back then. It was all just monofilament up front. <laughs> but I had a box of flies and I learned how to fly fish sunnies and bass in this very extensive marina um, and dock system that they have there on Leech Lake, which is renowned walleye and muskie lake. There's great backwaters on that lake. Furthermore, I had that rod up until after college, um, I went to the Minneapolis College of Art and Design. I got a major four-year degree in furniture, uh, 3D objects, 3D art, sculpture, and never once fished that rod or fly fished all through college. I was in the city. I was a city boy for eight years. After I moved back up to Bemidji, I reconnected with that rod and started reading about the amazing fly fishing down in Southeast Minnesota that I was at that time in college, only two hours away from um, a stream called trout run, which is on the 50, um, 50 best American trout streams. I had no idea that I was that close when I lived down there all those years. And I, I really wish now that I had taken advantage of that because I would have, but, yeah. but you know how things, how things go. I took this old fly box. I took this old fluger. And I went down there one weekend. Um, I proceeded to not catch any fish. I had several fish on. Um, learned about leaders, learned about knots, learned about dropper flies. <laughs> and didn't, didn't catch a fish. And the last day, I ran that rod over with my car and broke it. Oh, no. And so... Didn't have another rod. It was the last day. Um, so I picked up my stuff and drove six hours home. Fast forward till now, 2021. That that trip was probably uh, in 2010, maybe maybe 09, 
or 2010 or 2011. I can't exactly remember. Um, fast forward 10 years. Yeah, because it, it had to have been in um, 09 or, or 10. Fast forward all these years. I've now been down there 13 times, 14 times. Um, and 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 really reconnected with that area. Uh, I couldn't stop. I couldn't. I couldn't. Uh, I couldn't just give up with that one experience. And this spring, um, I took my son and my daughter and my mom and my dad and my friend Lana down there. And the morning that we left, I presented my dad and my son with custom fly rods that I had made for them, for wow. them specifically. Um, you know, this was like four or five months planning ahead of time to get these rods made. And Teal caught his first brown trout on a, on a custom, custom six foot three weight. Wow. Wow. And, oh yeah. And with new waders and all that stuff for him. Um, and that was really huge. What a wonderful memory. And so I'm, I'm building that. Um, and also for my friend Lana, she, uh, it was her first time down there too. Um, and, and my mom, actually, my mom, she doesn't fish, but uh, she held camp down. Those Midwestern moms and grandmas, they're, they're tough cookies. So Southeast Minnesota, you know, brown trout. I mean, we have some of, we have like, I think it's like, just under 800 miles of, of brown trout streams down in southeastern Minnesota and incredible fishing in the driftless area it's called and so I'm introducing my son to that now and that's 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 what I wanted to get around at uh, this this full circle here come back around and say Teal has his own rod now uh, we took a trip this spring and because uh, he used to go down there with me and be in the backpack you know being the Kelty kid pack, but now he's standing in the river making his own casts. Um, Fern is now in the in the Kelty backpack, but uh, you know, in a couple of years she'll have her own rod too. But it's a really important place for me down there, Minnesota in general. You know, isn't it weird in life? I always feel like things come full circle, no matter what. Like somehow it just kind of comes back to your groundings and um, things that you love to do. Um, and especially there's something special about special and magical about the Midwest. And um, I don't, I can't really put my finger on it. Maybe not in the winter time, but for me, maybe it's because for me, it was a place of serenity and um, a place where I could put my feet on the dock and spend time with my grandma all summer. And I think it's so great that your son was able to catch, um, a beautiful brown is he now more on the brown trout side or is he still like wants to catch the bluegill pumpkin seed bass pumpkin <laughs> seed bass okay seed <laughs> and bass yeah those two are are huge for him he finds a lot of frustration he's you know i don't know how tall he is he's not tall at all so getting in the river is still a little daunting for him i i think and there's a frustration level too of uh it, it proficient casting to get out you know that lure that fly out there um so we have a lot of practice but the seed is planted and um and 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 so i'm reliving my my youth a little bit um and other than 
southeast. Now there's a great stream, some home waters here. And I know that you wanted to know about some home waters here. Yes. There's a great stream here called the Clearwater River. And it's a stream that uh, starts in farm country. And then it goes all the way up and eventually drains into Red Lake, which is incredible. It, it does a really big um, kind of J. It's really interesting how it um, wraps around the topography and it, and it comes close to actually emptying into the Mississippi and then takes a big swoop and heads north. And so um, there's not a lot of topography here. It's subtle, but, um, you know, so, so it's, it's really interesting how that, how that flows. Uh, that's the river that I learned how to um, fly fish on with an individual who is a veterinarian. Today, he is 89 years old, and his name is, he's my godfather, his name is Dr. Carl Seaman, S-E-E-M-A-N-N, Seaman. Um, he has been a vital, vital inspiration and source of knowledge. I talk to him every week. Um, he lives a quarter of a mile away from me. He's the one that really ignited the trout bum in me at an early age. Um, I had a fluger. He knew that. Uh, he knew I know, knew how to cast. And so several springs, we went to the Clearwater. And that's a place too now that I bring my son. Um, it's stocked annually in the spring with rainbows and browns. It does have some feeder creeks with natural reproducing brookies in it. Um, but it's, it, it's not a big stream at all. It's a fantastic stream. I believe there's about eight miles that is, um, easement access. It's fantastic for, um, learning and, and small stream fishing and getting out. It's very remote. You never see anyone out there. Um, and so I wanted to share that with you about my home waters too. And, and the person that has, has had some of the the most impact on my fly fishing and that is uh that's carl um and he's an incredible incredible source of information oh that's amazing i have my godfather lives next to me at our cabin he's amazing he's been basically my kind of father type growing up and um it's so amazing to have like these amazing family they feel like a hundred percent family, even though there's no blood related, but he's also huge into fly fishing. And I can't, I look forward to actually this year because I've just gotten so, I've been really working on my casting and I can't wait to go out there and just be like, Hey, his name is Craig. I'm like, Hey Craig, proud of me. Like, and I know he will be. And he has so many Corvettes and we'll probably go get a Corvette ride right afterwards. <laughs> yes. That's the way to roll up there in the Midwest. Cause it's, there's always some little surprises up there. That cast is so important because when when you develop that good cast and you yes. can really aim it well, well, it speaks with your intent, okay? And also the reaction time. Like if you're doing a float, you got to be on the ball, right? You got to yeah. be, I mean, whatever you're doing, if you're uh, fishing nymph or streamer, you got to be on the ball, okay? Especially during a float. Your reaction time has to be on it. And... So with that being said is if you put out a really good cast out there and get a bite and hook it and land it, it really shows your intention. Okay. And it also reinforces the fact that you were listening to your gut. 
Okay. And that's yeah. good. And that's good. Listen to your heart. I, I know I say gut and heart, but um, listen to your heart. And, uh, and that's such a way to live by. And so bringing the sobriety back in is that that's what I was doing. I wasn't listening to my heart. I was screaming inside, but I wasn't acting on those feelings. As soon as I started and I kind of got past my 90 days and I was really, really working on solidifying that rewiring, um, then I was really able to utilize my intuition on a higher level that is rewarding and uh, it puts into such a perspective of where where I've been and now what I've become. And so um, I guess when you go out and you look into your home waters and you see your reflection in the surface and you cast out there and you're rewarded with a big fish, you 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 find yourself a little bit, you know, you uh, it's uh, subliminally, subliminally, subliminally. <laughs> there's lessons and there's answers and there's teachings and there's feelings and there's stories and there's all these things that come with that that you know maybe don't have words associated with them but it's that's the healing you know and that's the healing and so then you can ask yourself later on like you know what you felt or or how you approach things in the future you know, I think that's such beautiful imagery because I think it's probably safe to say that I don't think that there's anyone on this planet that hasn't felt something that has rattled their well-being or their soul. Like I can't imagine that there's one person on this planet that has just gone through life perfectly without feeling sad or feeling depressed or like questioning the things that they've done in their past. Um, I think that's what happens as you kind of get older, you kind of have more time to reflect on the things you've done. And you wonder, like, was that, you know, you get kind of hard on yourself. And especially during the pandemic, I mean, there was a lot of time where we were able to sit down and actually look at like, wow, when you start taking away things that you might have enjoyed uh, externally, you have to look internally. And I think it's so important to feel grounded in something that you can get away from without having to be with anybody. And I think that your, um, your metaphor with fly fishing and casting is that, you know, you do have to look at your home waters and home waters being your backyard and seeing, making sure you're taking care of it. And, you know, and I think it's so wonderful that you're spreading this message because it is really hard to tell everyone what our faults are or like what we're working on, what we're striving on, because then it's a bigger fall, right? Because then people have all their eyes on you. Like, I, I, what number are you on? Are you still doing okay? Like, I think that takes a lot of guts, Max, for you to kind of just come up and be like, listen, I'm going to be accountable and I'm going to live every day with intention. So um, I think it's just incredible your story and you sharing this because I think there's a lot of people who are going to resonate with you and find this to be a, a great message of like, you know, check your home waters. Like let's reset ourselves. I started making a fly box here this last year. And um, there's a metaphor on, on etched laser engraved on that fly box and um, BemidjiMaker.com. And it says each cast is prayer. So each cast you, yeah, you're praying for it to land in the right spot, but each movement becomes prayer with intention. 
And not only fishing, but if you do that within your work and your family, then you'll you'll probably be existing more harmoniously. So each cast is prayer. Is the fly box that you created um, the what'd you call that box? Your fly box during your hard times? The the box of hurt. The box of hurt. Did you create your own box of hurt, or was that something that um, you kind of like pulled out and was like, "Okay, let me get to pulling out the pain." I pulled out the pain. I worked through my pain, tying all those flies. It, you know, I, I spent four and a half months all through the winter tying that box of flies it's an incredible box you know and i've cycled i've lost a lot i've put new in there but there's there's still this this uh this few flies i don't really touch in there but um i created that box originally to process help me process that pain that's why i love the metaphor again for the february room is because you go in you go into that room okay and within each fly and each process of that fly, it's as though you look at yourself without yeah. words. You process um, meditatively. You process, you know, um, your life, I guess. And so if everyone could do that for a month, live in prayer or live in um, meditation for a month, you know, tying is really meditative. It doesn't have to be tying either. It can be quilting. It could be woodworking. It could be anything you want. But living in that, um, living in that prayer is really important. Yeah, I'm. I'm not religious. I'm spiritual. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I've been really acknowledging the the beauty in the simplest things. Okay, and I and I don't think being high and drunk all the time you can really do that successfully. You could still do it, but I think, you know, living a sober life, walking the walk and talking the talk, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, Max, I'm sure there's going to be some people who are going to be wanting to reach out or maybe they want to follow you and just continue to support you in, um, in your, your pathway of being present. Um, what's a good way for people to follow you and also look at your fly boxes because you do create such amazing, beautiful fly boxes. Um, can you give, provide that information? I'm on all all media and uh, I'm at uh, <laughs> um, Bemidji underscore maker is TikTok, Instagram, I guess is my main two there, but uh, Instagram um, at Bemidji underscore maker. Bemidji is B-E-M-I-D-J-I. I'm also BemidjiMaker.com. We're first city on the Mississippi. You know, our lake was formed when Paul Bunyan came through here and, and, you know, uh, our lake is his footprint. Well, and I love the name Bemidji. Like, I mean, that's the funnest word to say. I mean, I can't, I could, I could say Bemidji, Bemidji, Bemidji all day. It's such a great name for a town. I think it's Amazing. The Bemidji Mog in Ojibwe men means a widening in the river. We are the first very large um, body of water that the Mississippi goes through. So we are the first big widening of the river. That is so cool. Well, I hope that like maybe if I come up to Missoula, 
when I come up to my little cabin, maybe I need to make my way out to Bemidji. It's been a long time. I know like when we were checking out Brainerd, we actually, because isn't there a big Paul Bunyan statue? Yeah, yeah. I think we, I think we like drove by the Bemidji and the big statue, the Paul Bunyan statue, and yeah, we just thought like, oh, what a cool town. There's a statue in Brainerd too. We, we you know, we have a rivalry. So there, there's <laughs> out there, and then and then there's one in uh, in Akeley, and you know, so uh, but no, we have the best. We have the original. We are the original Bemidji folk. Well, I can't thank you so much. Um, thank you, thank you so enough, much. Max, for talking with me and sharing your story because I think what you're doing is pretty amazing. And to tell um, your story and share. Um, be the bug. Be the bug. Each past is prayer. Go to thefebruaryroom.com where you can access a complete library of our podcast and read more about our guests, their fishing stories, and favorite fly patterns. We're always looking for exceptional fly fishing yarns. And if you have one to spin, shoot us an email at info at the The February Room is always free, but if you feel like throwing a nickel in the pond, we appreciate any additional listener support. For companies and individuals interested in sponsorship opportunities, please contact us for our media kit. Thanks for stopping by the February Room, and we'll see you down here next week.